I'm so excited about actors. Uh, this is going to be a great episode. I think so. Welcome to Fatal Error. Uh, I'm Sarush. I'm Chris. We reversed the order that time. Yeah, you got to switch it up. Yeah, that's right. Today we're talking about uh, part two of the concurrency manifesto, um, or the draft of the Swift concurrency manifesto, which Chris Latner posted a few weeks ago. And part two is actors. Yeah, so we talked about async await last week, mm-hmm. um, and actors two, two this weeks week. ago. Right, two weeks ago. Yeah. So this is also a Patreon episode. Shout out to Patreon people. You're the best. You're the best. Thanks for your support. We really appreciate it. You're making the show possible. Um, And cool. Should we just dive in? I really think we should. I'm so, right, cool. so excited about this. Yeah, this is going to be good. So um, we're going to assume that you, the listener, have read the Concurrency Manifesto. If you haven't, you probably should. If not, maybe you'll just enjoy the, the one and a half jokes we put per episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're just ripping off. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. Uh, so actors, so what are, what, so Chris in this manifesto is proposing adding uh, actors as a way, like a, a sort of higher level um, concurrency tool to the Swift language natively. And there's something that would build on top of and interact really well and like so elegantly with async await and with some of the other stuff that they are, that they're planning for the language, um, with like the move semantics and like that alternative ownership model, which we've talked about previously. Like it's so cool and so nice how the, all this stuff like actually works. Like I all comes together and works together and it's like all these puzzle pieces fit together perfectly. It's, it's so good. So I already have so many questions for you. Let's let's do that. You seem so excited. You're talking faster than I've ever heard <laughs> you talk before, which is great. Um, okay, so first question. Have you ever used a language with actors in it? No. Have you used Akka? Have you used um, no. any, like Scala, I think has some actor model stuff in it? Nothing. No, I haven't. Um, I've never used like actor related stuff in Scala. There's, I think there's an actor thing for Objective C that's maybe called Actor Kit, which I've never, which has been on my list of stuff to play oh, with forever. But both you and I have written things that are kind of like actors in iOS apps before. Um, what kinds of things are you thinking of? So have you, you've, uh, you've used the pattern, I assume, where you have like some class and, uh, it, ta- it receives messages because that's how like message passing is how things work in, at least in Objective C and kind of sort of in, in some parts of Swift, right? Right, right. And I, you've probably done the thing where you have some like state that's private and internal to that class. And to make the class, you know, thread safe, you, um, uh, you have like an internal serial queue and sort of serialize acting on that internal state um, when when people pass messages to you to this class and you like dispatch to your serial queue and wait and do whatever you want to do with your state and return your result like that's a really common pattern uh, in iOS like concurrent iOS programming at least right uh, yeah totally and I think like even in some really broad generic sense uh, if you even like every object in the classical like Alan K esque definition like acts as a cell, um, accepts messages and sends messages to other objects, which in this case are very similarly defined to actors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think like I know, what you, and also like I know what you mean. I have done the thing where you have private internal state, you synchronize it with a queue, and um, that's essentially what he is uh, suggesting here. He says. Um, he says, like something like iOS programmers um, would 
like best know how to like or can can best think of this as like basically a class with a with a serial queue that like you can access state on, but the state can't leave the class. Yeah, like the exact sentence, just to read right from this manifesto. As a Swift programmer, it is easiest to think of an actor as a combination of a dispatch queue, the data that the queue protects, and messages that can be run on that queue. Right. Which sounds a lot like that thing that we've all written just, you know, manually rather than the system providing these properties. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm also curious to know when you say like, oh, this is like a, um, a very elegant like coming together of a bunch of different ideas in Swift. What ideas are you talking about there? So, first of all, this plays really nicely with async await, which we've discussed previously, and which would be the sort of first uh, language-level concurrency feature to be added under this uh, manifesto um, and under the actual proposal that that actually exists. Um, right, so it plays nicely with async await. Uh, functions on an actor uh, that are marked with the actor keyword, which are like the... the I, not exactly public because they could still be declared internal or private, but those are the like methods on that actor that can be called by other objects and that can be called uh, in a concurrent fashion. Um, those are implicitly uh, async, um, so that has a few implications. Like you, when you call an actor, you're uh, you will have to call it await and wait for it to get some val- some value back to you, uh, and like that takes care of. Um, like where previously you might, you know, you're just calling a random method. You don't know exactly like that could that that might block. But when something is marked as actor, you know that you're calling it. It uh, it will run asynchronously. You're gonna like um, sort of yield control from your like your run loop from potentially the actor that you're working within, uh, and then come back to it later. So like this just dovetails really nicely with the async await. Uh, stuff that has been proposed, I guess, if I dephrase it in in a sentence, just because that pro- that provides us with like the the necessary semantics to call methods on actors and let let things run um, run asynchronously, like really elegantly, like that. So that part of thing, that part of it is solved. So one of the really crucial things here, I think, and this does play really nicely with a lot of Swift stuff, is that. Um, data that comes into and goes out of actors has to be value types. Right. And so, and that totally makes sense, right? right. Uh, we, you wouldn't want to like passing reference types between things that are like, yeah, you wouldn't want to expose internal mutable stuff. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So there's one thing that I'll call out while we're talking about classes. Um, this proposal or, or this manifesto proposes introducing uh, a new protocol, which basically means uh, that which basically allows. Um, is this the value value right, typeable the, or whatever? The value value semantical, which is ridiculous maybe not a final name. name. <laughs> well, I think it's it's intentionally ridiculous because otherwise right. we'll bike shed the name here, right? Yeah. Um, so he proposes introducing that uh, and making it, and this would define a single function which basically returns a like a copy of self so it's it's a like a new instance of the same reference type that uh is a copy that a, a copy with value semantics so like there this this method should guarantee that are there aren't any like any any internal references any like pointers between these two objects mm-hmm. so they're not relying on the same underlying storage right and uh so and so you actually can under this proposal you can pass classes you can pass reference types into these actor methods even though those aren't value types uh but 
As long as they're value semantical. Right. As long as they're value semantical, like, I guess, I, I forget exactly what it says here, but um, maybe, uh, maybe like, when you pass a value semantical reference type to an actor to do something, like, it, there's the compiler under the hood inserts a call to the, like, value semantic copy method, right, right. so you end up with a copy. So, so you can use this with reference types, it just has to be possible to... Um, like you can't, you couldn't do this with something that represents a thing that's actually a singleton, right? Like a file handle, right? Uh, right. You would need. Um, it, it has to be something that you like. Is that a is fundamentally type. data, right? But but exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I like that he notes that um, he says a number of classes in Cocoa are already semantically immutable, such as you know, an UI image is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. And UI image for the value semantical copy function would just return self, I think. Um, right. Because you can't mutate it, so it's just totally fine to just pass it around. Right. And in a lot of cases, like this, implementing that value semantical protocol will be yeah. just trivial. Right. And right, and right. that's good, because we have a lot of classes that are like kind of sort of value types. Yeah, for sure. So so the other thing that I wanted to call out, um, which, which Chris discusses here very briefly, uh, is that this works really well. I mean, so let's say that you ha- you're using structs and you're, you're using value types and you want to pass these things to actors. Well, in a, in a program that's written using this new paradigm, like you may be passing things between a lot of different actors. Like you might have an actor, actors that represent the documents that are open. You may have an actor that's like the, the quote unquote main actor and that basically represents the, the UI thread, uh, or the, the like, a, the combination of you, the user interface, which is you know sort of a, a bucket of mutable state, uh, and methods that operate on the user interface, um, and so you're going to be passing things between actors a lot. And one of the cool things that that Chris notes is that we have so we already have copy on write value types. We've like really efficient semantic uh, copy on write semantics under the hood for arrays and for for dictionaries, and. The other thing that is going to really help with this is we have uh, move semantics on the way from the ownership uh, ownership manifesto, right? Right, right, right. And so this means that if you're uh, th- this provides you with like a lot of different options for dealing with passing things between actors efficiently. And in the common case that isn't this isn't something that you're probably going to have to worry about. But in the case where you do have to worry about this, where you're doing something really performance sensitive. Uh, and really want to like move ownership of some of some value out to uh, some other actor for it to do do something with like this the move, the move semantics from the ownership manifesto will solve that like really what like this all just comes together so elegantly and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I now see what you're saying between like basically asyncing and between awaiting and having value types and having. Um, all the ownership manifesto stuff, you end up with the situation where you don't have to make that many copies. You can do it efficiently, but you can also get all the guarantees that you want to get. Yeah. Right. I'm also really excited, although I've never used actors, right? I've never written a, or never, I, I've never used a, a language where actors are a first class like concept, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think that they seem like, I mean, I've, I've written a number of things that look and feel a whole lot like actors. And I think that this just really is a really nice way to wrap up a, a lot of, um, or to solve a lot of the common, um, yeah. like problems that, that we face when writing concurrent iOS code. Like it seems like a really nice, really elegant abstraction that, that can be applied in a lot of different situations. And I think that will make things a lot easier. 
So I don't want to get too philosophical. Sorry, that's like I absolutely want to get really philosophical. Um, <laughs> this people argue about like object oriented programming a lot, but I think what Alan Kay this is meant, a super object oriented like solution yeah, to this is like concurrent. actors. I think are what Alan Kay meant when he was talking about message mm-hmm. passing. Mm-hmm. When he was talking about basically like this message could exist on another machine, which we'll talk about distributed actors. I'm really excited to get to that part of it. Um, but like this, this object exists somewhere else and I can basically do RPC to get data to and from the thing. And I think like this is what, like when you, if you want to talk about what like object-oriented programming is, it's not about inheritance. It's not about, um, it is about polymorphism to some degree, but like primarily it's about this idea of there's messages and you can send messages to other objects and the objects can respond Mm -hmm. and send messages of their own pretty much. And so I think like, I'm I'm now I feel enlightened in that when next time I get into a discussion about like oh a functional program is like this an object oriented program is like this it's like well just replace whatever you think your definition of object oriented programming is with actors and then let's start the conversation there in the same way that functional programming lovers will say um, like replace whatever you think a function is with a pure function and let's start from there yeah 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 now the big big question that it raises to me is like. How in the hell do you test this? Uh, what do you mean? I think you... like. How do you write a unit test for, let's say, a um, an actor that talks to another actor? Uh, the same way you test a class that talks to another class. You have... Injection? Possibly, yeah. And protocols? How, whatever, whatever you... I mean, I, I don't see this as inherently something that's like more difficult to test aside from maybe the fact that it's more like asynchronous, but we'll like, we deal with testing asynchronous code already and we'll deal with testing asynchronous. Async await. I haven't really thought through test implications, but there's a good chance that that may make like. It should make testing easier, right? Yeah. In the same way that you can throw from a test right now, like a test function you could write just throws and then you could just freely throw from there and any throw is a fail. You, I think you could just easily make a, a test function async and then, so I think that part is easy, but like, it's like, well, how does, I mean. An actor provides an API that does something. You verify uh-huh. that the API does what it says on the tin. Uh, but can you, you wrap an actor in a protocol? Can you stub well, an so actor? Can we're, you? We're getting into like fairly. Um, this is weedy, but I think it's really important. Like, like this is a big. A big change to the way we write code. So like, let's say there's some code that touches this this main actor, UI actor, as, as Chris Liner wants to call it. Is there a way to say, okay, when you're running this code in this context, replace the UI actor with this stub? Um, like, how can we how can we test that? I don't know. And I don't think there's any answers. And, like, and, and I'm not sure that you can, like, pass an actor to another actor's initializer. Would that work? I I mean we don't so we don't know from this proposal whether actors can conform to protocols right. whether like exactly in what cases actors can be used although there there's the alternative design heading that discusses whether actors should be just a special kind of class yeah which we should also definitely talk about yeah I mean that this implies to me that like you you'll test these things much like you do regular classes yeah you'll use them and like pass them around in your in your pass references to them rather around in your application much like you do regular classes like yeah. i don't think this is that's kind of the other cool thing about this is it's it's clearly a like fundamental language change but in terms of like 
conceptual like it's not a big conceptual leap from what we know it's not now it's basically a class with more limitations and that seems really good to me pretty much And those limitations let the compiler provide like machinery for helping you write concurrent code right right exactly or correct concurrent code so i I just want to i just want to like highlight one of the examples in the um example actor design for swift section uh he straight up has a an actor called table model um, that takes an actor, the main actor, in its initializer and just keeps a reference to it. And that's just how it works. So clearly you can pass them around. Yeah. Obviously at that point you need to stub the main actor or something, some protocol, some sort of fake. Uh, and then... Right, and so maybe, yeah, and maybe your main actor conforms to like some number of protocols depending on like what different things need to interact with it. Um, I mean, Swift is super protocol-oriented, and it's not uncommon to have a class which is extended to conform to a huge number of protocols for right. for the purposes of, like, testing dependency injection, um, slowly refactoring something into different, dis- like, disparate parts, right? Right, right. I frankly, I think if we got actors, I maybe would never write another class. I mean, it depends. There certainly are still going to be things that aren't really first class, like your classes that are kind of sorted data, but you still want to have reference semantics for. Like, there's still yeah, going to be maybe there's still going to be a number of cases where you don't want the like overhead or the limitations that come with something being an actor. But so, in particular, I'm thinking like right now, I don't, uh, I haven't intentionally subclassed something, like making an abstract supertype and then subclassing it for its like polymorphic reasons since I started writing Swift. Like, I've done an Objective-C because that's really the only way to get um, polymorphic enums that um, have separate data in them. But I have not, like, subclassed anything in Swift, except in the cases where you obviously have to, like UI view or UI view controller, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, you just don't really need it um, because protocols are so good, because structs are so good. You just don't need it. And so I'm thinking that, like, if this lands, like, I'm, I can think of very few cases. Almost every like reference type, quote unquote, in my app acts kind of like an actor. And I think actor is also a better way to think about what a, like think about the, the difference between this is something that does work versus this is something that stores data, like structs versus actors. And I think that distinction is so clean and clear that like I cannot right now think of a single object that I would write that would stay, be, stay a class. Like obviously the ones that have to be classes UI view controller, whatever. But in terms of the code that I write, I just, I'm having a tough time imagining. Well, and you, you could imagine some, uh, maybe not UI view controller, but like you, some of the examples here think about the main thread or the UI thread as, uh, as being an actor, right? And so there will be right. some, like, uh, some interaction between UI kit and like the actor based world. Um, I don't have any iOS code handy on this computer right now. I'm guessing that if I did, I could pull something up and find some an example of something that would still be a class. Like, yeah, I, there I are could, things that aren't like big. Yeah. Um, but actors don't have to be big. That's the thing. Is like or the example that he gives. Yeah, is, is let, let actor me, table model. Let me finish my. It, let me finish my <laughs> sentence. There are things that that are like uh, big. Isn't the right term, but that really define like data and things that act on that data like there are classes that just um i don't know there 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 are simpler classes that that don't need this basically yeah L- let me put it a slightly different way then um i can imagine that there is a class 
but I think the fact that neither you or nor I can think of one right now suggests that like it's going to be pretty rare to make classes in the new actor world. Uh, that that might be that that might be true. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I could be wrong, obviously, but um, my thinking right now is like this subsumes almost everything I want to reference type for. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's a good. That's a good intuition. You're probably yeah. writing. You're probably writing really good classes right now. I'm so proud. Um, <laughs> Because that's true, that that indicates that to me. So I hope so. I hope that's okay. kind, kind of related to this under the actors as classes, like alternative design discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big a, a big question: uh, Is subclassing of actors desirable? Is that something that should be supported? I am so jazzed to talk about this. I absolutely do not think that that should be allowed. Do you? I think there's uh, no sense. Follow up. No reason. Follow up. Do you uh, think that subclassing of classes should be allowed? Setting the aside only, the, like, UI view controller thing. Right. The only reason I think that subclassing should be allowed in Swift is to um, basically, like, because Coco requires it. If Coco were designed in a different way, I would just say absolutely not. There's no reason to make, like, subclassing. Go has zero subclassing. I mean, I, you've been writing Go. What do well, you think? Go is super. I don't think that bringing Go into this, disc- like... <laughs> Go, is a really, Go is a really different language from Swift, uh, and that this is neither a good nor bad thing, but it's a really different language, and I don't think that uh, Go is discussing Go in the context of whether actors should be subclassed is a useful sure. discussion. So my only point is it's, it's very, very possible to make a language that um, does have subclassing, and it's fine, it has tons of usage, and everything is okay. There yeah. are certain cases in and Swift where I have seen... philosophy. Yeah, I have seen people pull off like subclassing in like a really nice and elegant way. Um, a good example is the uh, the promise implementation that that I think John Sundell, uh, the Swift by Sundell guy, um, wrote, and um, that is like a really elegant thing where it's like the future is the superclass and it's immutable, and then the promise is the subclass and it's mutable because it has access to the state in the future uh, that that external things can't can't sort of access and i think that that's like a really elegant thing i would probably never do that um but like it it is nice to be able to do that that being said so rarely do i want to subclass a class like i said i've never done it in swift that i just don't think there's any reason to allow subclassing of actors i do think it is a little weird in that like you know if you can form an actor to a protocol will you get those protocol methods like is that a way to share um code between actors, maybe TBD. If that's not possible, then maybe you do want subclassing. But just like, I just never want to have to deal with a fragile base class ever again. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing that I'm after here. That's totally um, fair. And I will do as many workarounds as I need to to like not have to have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so what do you think? What do you think about the, the subclassing situation? I don't know if I have a really fully formed opinion on this. I think that. Honestly, as long as we're fitting actors as a reference type into Swift, I think that it probably makes sense to allow subclassing, uh, just because that fits all, fits in with the sort of philosophy that exists for Swift's reference types. Mm-hmm. I think that actually subclassing actors in like a modern Swift application should be just as rare as actually subclassing classes. Mm-hmm. That is to say, rare because protocols. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there's any discussion of protocols in here. I'm I'm making a big assumption that actors can can conform to protocols, uh, but I uh, that seems like a safe assumption. 
Yeah, I think they've got to do something there, but it's a real open question because the semantics of a regular function and an actor function are so different that I... I, I kind of don't know how it would work. Like, would it just work? Or would it be like certain functions in the protocol have to be marked as actor functions? To, and then what happens if you try to confirm that to a construct? It would be really weird. And maybe that's something that we should bring up on the on the mailing list. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of open questions here. Yeah. I think that it maybe makes sense to wait on that discussion till we get to, like, till we get closer to there being an actual actor's proposal. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, there, Definitely something to think about, though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If if there has been any discussion about this and we've just missed it, uh, that that any of our listeners are aware of, please please do send it our way. I'd really appreciate reading anything about this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to um, discourse forums for the Swift Evolution, so I can actually try yeah. to keep up with it. Yeah. The mailing list is just like so hard to keep up with. It really is. It. And I think we're not far from discourse. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pay more attention to the uh, evolution mailing list then. All right. So there's there's two really big things I want to make sure we hit. Um, one of them is how actors fail. And the other one, which is tied into that, is distributed actors. All right. Um, let's talk about failure first. This is really interesting, right? Because if an actor fails, what happens to the data that it's kind of protecting? Um, what happens to the things that have a reference to it? How, basically, how does failure work? So it kind of depends what you mean by failure here. If you just mean like some, like there's, there's some maybe recoverable like thing that's gone wrong, uh, that should be handled the same as you handle it in a class. Like methods will be able to throw across async await boundaries and that'll all work. Um, and maybe your actor is, is left in, um, in some weird state and you're starting to throw errors out of it rather than providing useful answers, but that's kind of something for your application to handle. Uh, if you, if you mean, um, a harder, like a, a harder error, like a fatal error, for example, <laughs> um, <laughs> then I think we're moving on to part three of this document, which kind of talks about what happens if you fatal error inside an actor. Right. And you can imagine some interesting cases here. Like what if, uh, in a server is spawning like actors to deal with, um, to deal with client requests. Right. And one of these actors, uh, like encounters some unrecoverable error. Yeah. And, uh, that's the particular case that I'm interested in here. I thought it might um, be because, uh, <laughs> see our previous episodes about Swift on the server. Yeah. I, I think like, I think an actor makes total sense for, you know, spin up a thing, has access to its own local thread, its own local data. And, um, can, you know, talk to other actors for the database or talk to other actors for the network, et cetera. But fundamentally you spin up one actor and you live in that actor. And I think that mm-hmm. model is really good. Um, and it provides the reliability of saying, Hey, if this crashes, it doesn't have to bring down the whole process. And so given that that's super important, especially for the server, but also, you know, also on the client side, how do we handle that? Yeah. And Right. So the idea here is that there'd be some way for an actor, um, and maybe not all actors, hashtag not all actors, <laughs> but um, just actors who want these sort of guarantees. Um, maybe the runtime just like never uh, sends responses back to things that are waiting on that actor, which right. could introduce deadlocks or introduce like various things that just all sorts of other weird program state. 
Um, yeah. So that's that seems wrong. There are a couple other a couple solutions that this document discusses. One is provide a standard library API to register failure handlers for actors, and that seems kind of clumsy. But I also, think so too. but also actors that have this in this uh, proposal or this manifesto, it's called this reliability property. Meaning that I guess the actor itself can crash and they'll take down the rest of the system, right? Right. Uh, and maybe like use cases for this will be far and few and between enough that that's actually fine, because the other solution that's here is forcing all actor methods to throw, and that uh, with the semantics that they only throw if the actor is crashed, and that seems like that's going to throw like just put a lot of sort of boilerplate error handling code into, um, like force it into callers of things that that want to wait on some result from this actor, mm-hmm. and that seems mm, that seems really messy, and I think the common case where like your actor is pro- like handling a queue of client requests or like is handling uh, database interactions, like registering some uh, higher level failure handlers like actually seems much better than like everything that touches your database has to handle the case where the database has crashed, right? Right. So my thinking on this is essentially like, okay, say you're uh, on the server and one example of a case where your uh, local invariance inside your actor just totally failed is like somebody literally unplugs the database. Um, right, the database yeah. is, 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 is hardwired to the network and so it just unplugs it and you just can't access it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like your invariants are really messed up. The thing should crash and like you, can, you just can't recover from that in any way. Yeah. Although, I mean, it, it, talking about the specific case where a database is inaccessible is not the best example here because your database, like whoever's talking to your database, should be able to handle errors because they may be transient. Maybe it'll come back, you know, in, in two seconds because right. networks are weird. But, well, let's continue with this but example that's just for the, discussion. Right. Th- that's why you, you have to be able to handle it and your server can't just crash if, if there's just suddenly no database. Like, it just yeah. can't happen that way. So, my feeling is basically... Number one, actors should basically have a DNIT or like an on failure, and they should use that to clean themselves up. So if they've opened a file handle, they should try to close it. If they have like, um, if they're like, you know, partway through a transaction. So the two problems that come to mind immediately, uh, if something has like really crashed, like going back to the, the situation where maybe there was a left fatal error in, in an actor, uh-huh. um, you don't know what state that the thing is in enough to like try to run dnit uh like deinitializers and this is uh this is discussed a little bit in this section but depending on exactly what has gone wrong like it may not be safe to run dnit like cleanup methods that have been deferred or like a, a class's dnit method my second problem with this is that handling this crash isn't the responsibility of the thing that crashed. Like, let's say your, your like database actor crashed. What is it going to do to clean, like to clean up from that? That's the cleaning up is a responsibility of whoever's using this resource. Cause that's the level where like, um, you're going to have to, uh, do whatever you do when your database dies, like connect to to a backup data or whatever. Right, but that's right. like a more application level concern. Like your database actor is concerned with dealing with the database. And when that fails, it's not concerned with like, what does the application do now? 
like it it fails and that's kind of where its story ends and now it's the app's responsibility to do something about that yeah but, uh, the where I'm, where I'm coming from is like the uh the actor is the only one that knows the internal implementation details of what it needs to clean up Whereas the outside caller is just like, yeah, I'm just asking for a sequel. I don't know what's what's happening in there. I Could mean, be I anything. Think, I think we're talking about f- actors failing in, in this case, like not just because there's some oh some resource went missing and like now we're gonna clean ourselves up gracefully and be done. Like that seems like something where uh, you just like start throwing when things try to call your methods and provide some signal to the application that things are not okay and you need to do something. Mm-hmm. I'm th- I think this is much more like something, uh, something like really, really crashed hard. Uh, yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't think this is like, uh, so, but this could happen even in the case of array out of bounds. Uh, let's say you're responding to a request, there's an array and you do an accidental array out of bounds and the whole thing just comes tumbling down. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's yeah. that's different from like the database not being available. Right. Yeah, it's like a pretty serious error and you now no longer know uh what state this actor is in. Uh and there's nothing that, you know, speaking in the in the abstract, there's like nothing that the language or the runtime knows is safe to do other than like this entire actor is uh is defunct. Yeah, but then also doing nothing is also unsafe. Yeah, that's what makes this really hard. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. But like, there's you don't know enough to safely clean up from that, right? Um, and I'm kind of arguing the side that I think Chris uh, Latner is arguing mm-hmm. in this uh, in this. He says I advocate for a design where no cleanup is performed. Right, I, and I mean, like, he's right. Granted, there may be like common cases where, uh, like, you you would know enough to clean up if you were just given the chance, but. If there, if if your actor encounters some failure that you know enough to clean up from, like you right. should write the code that detects this failure case, um, throws an error back to the client, and like cleans up from it. Right. One interesting case that he brings up is like a transaction where you could, or like opening a connection to a database where the, the database may have a limited number of connections available, and if you open one, and then you know that increases some counter or whatever, and then crash. I really feel like you want to clean that up. I mean, that's going to be something. Okay, this exists. This specific case that, like, the database is going to enforce the number of, poss- of connections that are possible. Right, but you'll just have open ones, and if it's like any kind of cascading failure, you'll just use up all your connections, and then you won't be able to connect to the database anymore, and then everything will go crumbling, and it'll be horrible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I, there's a. <sighs> yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. So, I mean, in that case connections on your database server get. Uh, are are getting used up uh, and not closed properly because like you have a pretty bad programming error in your like database client that's causing it to um, that that's causing it not to clean up because you're like trying to access memory out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Like, first your database server probably should handle that somewhat gracefully at least yeah. after some amount of time. But also like yeah, that's that's bad. But also we don't know if like. Um, you know, maybe your your uh, array of like open database connections is is broken now, and you and you don't know that you can iterate through it to close things up gracefully. Right, right. Every again, because you don't even know if you'll have a connection to the database at all. Like, the, like the hard line may be cut or whatever. Yeah, cut the hard line. Yeah. Cut the I hard watched, line. I watched The Matrix for the first time the other day. <laughs> really, You've never seen it. I'd never seen it. I've seen like various bits and pieces, and I knew 
like all of the plot points mm-hmm. like to the everybody point where, knows what happens in the matrix yeah right to the point where like there are various scenes where i can like mouth the words along because it's just like <laughs> common knowledge right. uh, but it was fun really enjoyed it yeah it's just yeah. in our in our in our cultural psyche in our collective cultural psyche yeah I, I was thinking, I think The Matrix, this is very off topic, I think The Matrix is maybe the movie that the most people in our generation have seen and can, like, and know about. You think? Like, what else? Yeah, I don't, that that could be right. It, it's certainly up there. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's just crazy if you think about it. Yeah. It's like, almost everybody knows what The Matrix is, is exactly what happens in it, who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All the, the twists. Yeah. All the twists. Yeah. All the good lines. That's right. Yeah. Um, anyway. All the action, action moves. Uh, yeah. All the so, great lines. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's actors failing. <laughs> that's actors failing. Oh, and then so the other part of it is is basically should the actor register some global handler or should it um, basically should every, what is it, should every... Uh, every actor method, at least in a reliable actor, th- be throwing. Right. Well, I think a re- reliable actor just has no throwing, no concept of throwing. Wait, really? Why? Isn't that right? No. Because a reliable actor, you're saying, I'm, I'm opting in and saying this can never fail and I will always work. Oh, no, that's not what he says at all. This yeah, no, that's very all. different that from. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Provide standard library API to register failure handlers for all actors at a high level. Yeah. Um, and the force or force all actor methods to throw with the semantics that they already throw if the actors crashed. Having thought more about this. Oh, I because feel you like... can have messages in queued that haven't fired yet, and then the actor crashes and you can't you just can't do anything about those those messages. Yeah. Huh. I can see like pros and cons for each of these. This is yeah. not we may not solve this tonight. <laughs> I don't know, Chris. I think if we do maybe another two or three hours of this podcast, I think we can get there. <laughs> Welcome to uh, our no, like ten said, fatal it's a, error. Really tough, really tough problem. Yeah, like yeah. I see an argument for sort of centralizing this failure logic at like a high level in the application, mm-hmm. but then your application's going to have to like track what things may be waiting on this actor and like go yeah. deal with that. And number two, let me force more boilerplate, but also. Like that that means your application has to track less state potentially and like understand um and, and doesn't have to like work backwards through its dependency graph when something crashes. Right. And I feel like there's different kinds of actors as well. Like like I think the model of if you want like your 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 server to be responding to requests and sp- spinning off a new actor for each one. I feel like it's really, really fine because that already works at a pretty high level to, um, you know, register some global handler. This thing failed, return a 500, who cares? But if you're like deep in an iOS app and you're like five screens in and you're trying to get like, they have this table actor above like, and you're trying to get like, oh, what happens if I access a ring out of bounds here? It's like, well, I don't want to get that in the app delegate. Like, I don't want to get that at the very top. Right. Like, that's a very different kind of actor. In this particular case, the right answer is probably still the your application should crash. Probably, yeah. What I was thinking is like reliable means, hey, this just doesn't crash. That's you can't you can't guarantee that. Or if this does crash, like bring down the whole system. And right. then it, it means that I think it means like faults are like crashes are isolated and, and expected. 
and expected, right? And you you have some guarantee about what happens yeah. when an actor crashes. But I also I want to be able to write the type of actor that doesn't have to worry about that. Like, and if it does, I'm I'm comfortable with it bringing down the whole system. Like, if my table actor or whatever, my model actor, that makes sense in the majority of cases. But there will yeah. be cases where, like, you want. You know, if you're structuring some like really large concurrent again thinking like server side program, you want parts of it to be able to deal with failures because things are complicated and fail. Right, for sure. I'm not saying I'm just saying no failures. I'm just saying I want to be able to write certain fail- certain actors where I'm just like, hey, this is just not going to crash. If it does, I'm fine saying they bring the whole system. Yeah. Basically, I'm drawing a distinction between something like uh, something like you know servers spinning off new actors for each incoming request. And something like uh, uh, an actor that keeps track of a cache, let's say, on a server. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a data-fetching actor. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, either talk to this cache. Uh, and that's really important because you can only access that cache on the serial queue. Um, and I have, a, I have a cache like this on the server that I've written. It's basically a serial queue wrapped around a dictionary. Like, I want that to be able to, I want to be able to say, like, hey, that's like not the same kind of failure <laughs> that you're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to bring, I, I do want it to bring down the whole system. And that's, that's totally fair. And you just write that as an actor that's not marked as reliable. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, last thing I want to hit is distributed actors. We've kind of talked about this in this concept of like, which ones can fail and how reliable are they? And, uh, do they represent right. the database? So for those for, for those of you following along in the task-based concurrency manifesto draft, this would be part four, improving system architecture. Right. And my feeling on this is like, this feature is beautiful, and I cannot wait until it happens. Yeah, my feeling on this, and especially the next section where it's like the, the like, whatever it's called, the bright and shiny future. Yeah, the crazy, the crazy and brilliant future. Yeah. This seems like so far off, it, it seems like a, a really good goal to reach for, like a, a good, like thing to keep in mind as what we, what we're potentially hopefully working toward. This is like so far away that I'm, I don't know if I'm even like super interested in discussing it right now. Um, I do think that, right, like as long as we have, um, the, this really nice actor model for, con- for dealing with concurrency, as long as we have this, um, concept of reliable actors for dealing with things that like maybe fail because things are unreliable and computers and networks are complicated then like extending things to be further away like out using this for out of process or for inner process communication uh totally makes sense um i just doubt that we're gonna get there in in a little while right yeah, I think that's basically right. I mean, we talked with Kelvin last week about like Swift eight or whatever. Uh, and we were joking True. about like Swift eight is gonna come. I don't see any feature where that like doesn't happen. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, I mean, and the, there's this part in here, I can't really find it. Maybe it's in the crazy, brilliant future part, but like, he's just like, you just don't have to worry about JSON anymore because it's like, you're talking to a Swift actor right. that is on your server and then you're on your client and you just say, hey, give me this thing and you just await it and it just shows up and you can just write your code. Yeah. And like letting the language just like, polish all that stuff yeah. and just make me not worry about it is just amazing. So it's worth noting here that like the proposal for the like theory here that that Chris puts forth for distributed actors uh marking a an actor as distributed only means two things. Um it marks it as it means it's quote unquote reliable um because like things that return but like because 
again, this is doing IPC, so like things are fragile and and things may fail. This actor may may go down for some reason. You may go into a tunnel, <clears throat> right? Uh, and it notes that like, like arguments and results for these actor methods have to conform to codable because like you don't have access necessarily to the same types anymore because you're crossing this like process boundary. You're no Not longer the same in your program. Yeah. Right. And this goes to your point about everything fitting together really nicely. Right. This fits together nicely with Codable. This fits nicely into, like, it's a nice generalization of what we've talked about so far with actors. Um, yeah. And as Chris notes correctly, like, all the parts are there. The hardest part here is, like, actually implementing this on the framework side because you have to, like, actually, like, build the mechanisms to communicate across IPC that these actors will use. And you have to, like, deal with underlying, um, like, something has to handle this, like, codable transformation on each side, right? Yeah. Um, but it totally, like, that seems like it was something that's really great for us to, like, shoot for in the long term. For sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, maybe when we talk about Swift on the server for Swift 8 or 9 or whatever... It's not even going to be HTTP. It's just going to be, I just wrote some actors and I deployed them to, you know, wherever. And now yeah. I can just, I have this identifier for them and I just can talk to it. Right. And maybe that's As a distributed like, actor. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe Pretty wild. Uh, if we're using Codable, like maybe it's HTTP under the hood with JSON, or maybe it's some totally new network protocol. Because like Codable, um, you know, we, we know how to encode things in, in other ways too. Yeah. I also want to add here that, like, this is the first time I realized that, like, Apple might actually make a cloud where you deploy these actors to. And I want this on the record because I would not, I would absolutely not be surprised if, like, in five to 10 years, you can just write Swift code as an actor, deploy it to who even knows where. And then just like hit it from your iOS apps. Yeah, like Apple does, uh, like Heroku, and you can just push code to it from yeah, Xcode totally. with a button. Totally. Yeah. And so I went down the record here. You heard thought it, of it first. first. If you uh, if you want to automate that like button push from Xcode to push things up to the cloud, it's super complicated and hacky, and you have to use undocumented <laughs> APIs. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need to sign the code. It's gonna be a beautiful future. <laughs> Um, if you're listening to this in the far future, um, hello, hi, uh, it's nice to hello from meet the you past. 2017. Um, and we were right. Uh, email us. Yeah, please do tweet at yeah. us if Twitter's still a thing. Yeah. Twitter's definitely going to still be a thing. You think they're not making money, you, are they? I don't think you'll be able to edit tweets still, but I think it's still going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do think it'll still be there. And Yeah. Yeah. We'll be on whatever design run after everything is rounded. That's right. On Sharp that edges. <laughs> All right, Chris. This was great. This has been fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks for yeah, thanks for chatting me. This is talking through the uh I, I was more excited about the actor stuff than the async await stuff, in all honesty, just because everything comes together so nicely. Yeah, I actually hadn't considered that the actor model does really bring together a lot of Swift components in a really nice and elegant way. And, and when you put it that way, that makes a ton of sense. So, I mean, async await's going to be here f- sooner, and I'm really excited about that, but actors are going to be a beautiful future. Yeah, and it just builds on so much of this stuff that, like, maybe seems kind of weird, or it's not necessarily totally clear why the Swift team has chosen, like, X alternative over, like, any of the other choices. But, like, this all comes together so nicely. I have to think that the Swift team had 
this sort of thought in the back of their heads and have been making some some design decisions with this in mind for sure for sure yeah um yeah it's gonna be a beautiful future i'm so excited cool uh as always great to talk to you chris it's great to talk to you thank you so much everyone for listening and thank you for your support we really appreciate it this has been a really long episode so uh, (laughs) we will talk to you next week (laughs) later y'all